0: Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the Benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitofBlueSC.com.
1: Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next installment of Team Dog Podcast. Uh, On a regular basis, I like to take um, people's questions and talk about uh, dog-related issues uh, training principles, et cetera, and just kind of open the floor up for you guys to ask me whatever the hell you want to ask. Keep in mind uh, a couple of things while I go through these. Is Number one is that uh, a lot of the questions are either repeats of episodes I've already done or they're very similar to several other questions. So, if your question does not get answered uh, after being read specifically, read between the lines a little bit. And if it's a really similar question to what I'm answering, then just uh, pay attention or choke yourself. Also, you'll see a lot of references to uh, my training book and my training website. Uh, That's not shameless plugs. That's the whole reason that I came out with the damn things to begin with uh, is to give people a resource, uh, you know, to basically address the same conversation I would have with people all the time about, you know, my dog's doing this. He's reactive to other dogs or he won't eat or, you know, the clicker confuses him or he doesn't want to go in the crate. You can be filling the fucking blank. You know, all of the resources that I put out there, uh, both in the book and the team dog training uh, website. Uh, are all to accommodate uh, stuff like this. Having said that, uh, there is no substitute for an in-depth explanation of some of these questions and uh, the nuances of some of the specifics uh, that, that vary from uh, person to person. So keep that in mind. I'm going to get right into it here and uh, just go go down the list of, uh, of questions that uh, that I'm going to field. So here we go. All right. So the first question is from artist lens, what is the hardest dog you've ever worked? Um, Strangely enough, you know, it's, it's, there's not really a hardest dog that I could uh, point to. There's a a handful of them over the course of uh, the years that I've been involved with these types of dogs that, uh, that stick out, however, and I'll, I'll talk about a couple of them, the, the very first uh, Dutch Shepherd I ever got uh, was a dog named Dingo that was uh, from a, a special operations unit from overseas that had been washed out of the program because he removed the thumb uh, of of his handler and uh, they were going to put him down and so uh, he got kind of smuggled out of the country and ended up in my hands and he was a real motherfucker to deal with. I had him for several years. He bit me a number of times and the, the day that I sold him to a, a fellow gentleman in the industry uh for for his breeding program he was every bit as ready willing and able to eat my ass as the day that i picked him up uh i never developed much of a bond with him uh it was more of a he trusted me for the most part but uh you know was very quick and didn't need much of a reason to decide you know what i'm going to take a shot at the title Uh, and he he did on a regular basis pretty much every dog that uh, that was on the west coast when i was a trainer there with the seal mpc program they were all difficult in their own way uh, just like with people Uh, but you know their drive and uh, backbone strength and character forward natural aggression things of that nature were all at such a a level of magnitude to which you know they were you had they were very very difficult to train in some aspects and, and you had to really think about what you were doing um, and, and have a good training plan every time you got that dog out of the kennel uh, and that was pretty much all of them there. So since I've been back here from having left there you know all of the warrior dogs kind of fit into that same category and that they all have their their quirks and issues uh, some harder than others but uh, you know the whole reason that that they're here and right now we have 18 of them with a, a 19th about to come in. Uh, you know they're all here for a reason and it's not because they're easy to deal with. The good aspect about that is that I've learned so much more about training than I would have ever imagined uh, by just having them here and having to deal with some of their issues, um, you know, that got them here in the first place. So it's it's been a hell of a, a training experience. And for those people out there, uh, we're actually looking for a, a kennel kennel tech now. If you want to learn about dog behavior, uh, taking care of. Almost 20 retired working dogs uh, day in, day out will teach you way fucking more than any training academy will ever even dream to teach you. So uh, email info at Trikos if, uh, if you're interested. Uh, it is a hard position to fill because it's, it's tough work. It's cleaning shit and exercising dogs and dealing with dogs that uh, are looking for a reason to come after you. Uh, But very, very rewarding um, and incredibly insightful in terms of the knowledge that you can glean from that. So short answer, there isn't a hardest dog. Uh, Many of them over the years have have proven to be difficult. All right. So Andrew Baker and Roadhog011 have kind of a similar question here Um, to synopsize it. It's how do I help a dog learn to become gentle and emotionally intelligent around children? So. Great question and a very common one. Uh, Also something that, uh, you know, regularly plagues households. You know, they have young kids or they're going to have a baby or whatever and they've got a, you know, a young, strong adult or just a a dog that's super energetic and and you're trying to teach them how to be ginger around uh, beings that need to be ginger around. Uh, Think of, you know, in a hospice with old people that are, you know, on death's door and you're bringing service dogs in there, those types of dogs. Um, you know, that, that's kind of the goal that you're looking for to get the dog to behave more like that. There's a, there's a double-edged sword and, and kind of two sides to this coin that I want to talk about, which is, um, you know, a lot of it is genetics. Uh, that's just the reality of it is that, you know, the reason that service dogs are service dogs, yes, there's a high level of training that goes into it, but there's a genetic component that you cannot teach, that you can't manufacture, that you can't force, uh, that you can't change. Um, and that has to be there. You know, some dogs are much, much more uh, inherently genetically uh, focused or geared towards that type of work. Uh, and some are the exact opposite of that. Uh, I get asked a lot, you know, hey, we were looking for service dogs. I don't, I don't do service dogs for that reason, is that that, that general temperament is about, a, about as polar opposite as you can get from what I'm looking for in a good, strong working dog. Uh, having said that, uh, you have the dogs that you have and, and you're trying to get them to be more uh, or less excited by visitors or kids or, or whatever, and trying to get them to, to, you know, mind and have manners. And there's actually a ton of questions that kind of address this of, you know, my, my dog just loses their shit when people come into the house, you know, they're good training otherwise, uh, or we've got kids and they're great other than when the kids are around and they start getting them wound up and they start banging into them and shit, Um, so the genetic component aside, you have what you have Realize though that that is, that's your limiting factor, right? You know, that is going to dictate and determine a, what level of success you're going to have in getting the emotional intelligence and, and becoming quote unquote gentle around people that you want them to be gentle around. Uh, And that, you know, that cap is what it is. Understanding what that is and where it is and the fact that it even fucking exists is half of people's problems. You know, you can't take a a square peg and shove it in a round hole the way uh, a lot of people try to do within reason. Now, having said that, uh, now that we've identified that that's part of the problem, the other fact is it's not unlike any other behavior that you're trying to teach. Uh, is, is that you you are going to teach it in your classroom first and you're going to scale up the level of distraction in terms of what the dog is is breaking the obedience and going and self-rewarding for, i.e. knocking kids over. Is that, you know, start out by, by not throwing them into a situation where you, you don't have the ability to control it, A, and B, that they don't have enough repetition to draw from. That's really the secret to success with all of these things is, is building enough repetition base so that the dog um you know defaults to and and you know goes uh, via muscle memory uh, and and basically has the reaction that you're looking for or in this case the absence of a reaction the absence of a behavior is taught no different than the presence of a behavior uh, in that you're, you're waiting, you're manipulating the dog's environment, you're using something that the dog wants to solicit that reaction. And then ultimately, once you get it, you mark it and reward it. In this case, it's chilling the fuck out. Uh, so go in your backyard and, and have distractions where, you know, if the dog breaks it, you know, either the, the kids are behind the fence. Uh, Or, you know, something to that to that nature, you know, in in, in an environment where you can control the dog being able to break the obedience, but not be able to, to cause the problem that you're trying to to get around. So an example would be your training classroom. Mine is a 40 by 40 chain link fence. I would work obedience in that, that area until I have him nuts dialed in to where it's, it's a reaction. Every time I give him a command, I'm not going to introduce the kids and in the, in the distraction that I'm trying to work on until I've got him dialed in without it to the highest level possible. Once that's there, now I'm going to slowly introduce the kids or whatever it is that's, that's throwing you for a loop. Um, And then same thing. So if if the kids are on the outside of that fence, just kind of walking by and he runs over to it, I'm going to ignore it. The second he comes back to me, bam, he gets marked and rewarded. Uh, That's where I would incorporate a place command. Uh, And I'll talk about that a number of times uh, here in this podcast for sure. But uh, teaching that solid place command, a down stay at a at a specific point, and working on that while there's distractions. And so, how you incorporate that into your house? Very simply is you build build that that behavior in your classroom until it's dialed in with distractions, and then build it into your house where you've got a a dog bed in a specific spot that stays there that you're going and, and placing that son of a bitch on the on the bed every time. And when the kids are around, you go lay down on your bed and you chill out and you get marked and rewarded for it. Uh, that's a long process. I get it. You know, people want a short quick fix and a short answer. There isn't one it's, it's hard work and it takes repetition. Some dogs, it's going to take more than others, depending on what their level of drive and, and excitability is. That's the nature of the beast. So, um, it, it really is fairly simple. It just takes a, a fair bit of, of time and, and scaling buildup to get, uh, to get that behavior out of them. So again, uh, there's a number of, of questions here that kind of all talk about reactivity. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into that next because it kind of dovetails onto what we just talked about. Uh, and again, there's a, a ton of them. I'll use Chad underscore Weiss, his question uh, as, as an example. My shepherd mix has come a long way in the past couple of years off leash and on, almost better off, not sure if that's me not paying as much of attention uh, or not. But as soon as there's more than a couple people or dogs are around, He gets distracted. It's like pulling teeth to get him to listen to the smallest things. Any suggestions? All right. So very, very similarly is that I see this all the time, both with uh, with members until they've gone through the forums. And I, I encourage people to really read through the forums, because if you have a question, chances are we're in our third year of the online training resource there's been a a whole shit ton of other people that have had the exact same question. So read through that. Uh, and I, I am in there interjecting uh, my advice and answering all these questions to, uh, to a pretty large degree, uh, all the time. So, uh, go in there and and check those out. However, this is something where it it seems to plague people a lot because they're just trying to to short stroke it a little bit, not calling you out, Chad. I'm just uh, talking about the reality of, of the, of the training environment is that it, it generally stems from a lack of, of sufficient repetition, is that you've got to put that time in in your training classroom. Again, it's it's manipulating the dog's environment in that training classroom, it's structuring it so that in that while you're teaching, the dog is crated or otherwise uh, ne- neutralized in terms of its mental and, and physical stimulation and engagement other than when you're training so that there's, there's a contrast. Uh, And that's going to that's going to make everything sink in and and learn faster, be learned faster is if the dog is in a crate or a kennel run, not stimulated other than when you're training and that's when he's being fed and and emotionally engaged with and mentally stimulated, then uh, that's what makes the difference. But you've got to just continue more and more repetition and then slowly scale up to where you're building in those distractions. You know, in this case, maybe it's other dogs, again, on the outside of the fence, Uh, You know, or a dog in a crate uh, in your training classroom, just sitting there barking at your dog, you know, whatever the problem is that you're having, you know, set that environment up so that you're slowly introducing that in your training classroom where the dog is contextually used to to behaving and seeing those things. If, you know, your dog is is nails inside your house and in your backyard and you're doing all these training uh, sessions and everything's great, but you're but you're not introducing the things that are distracting him out in town in that same contextual environment. Of course, when he gets outside of that, he's going to be like, "Holy shit!" You know, it's like the stimulation lottery just was won. Uh, you know, he's he's going to look at everything like, you know, that's the coolest fucking thing ever. So, uh, you've got to introduce it into your classroom, into the into the environments that he's already comfortable in behaving, and and if he's not where you want them there then for the love of shit do not take them out into the real world and and expect good results because if you're not getting perfect results in your training classroom and in your house you're going to get even even less than perfect ones out out in town every single time so again it's it's very similar to the last one it's just using a different distraction uh and it's and it's really i mean fill in the blank for anything that my dog has a problem with x introduce x into your training classroom uh and scale it appropriately so that uh so that they're dealing with that distraction exactly how you want them to deal with it in your training classroom before you take them out into the real world and expect that same result. Once you do go out into the training classroom when all of those boxes are checked and that criteria is met, then go out there and use that as a training session with your marker um, and your reward and and go do that real world training session which I outline uh, in a couple of videos in the foundations portion of the online training. Biscuit and the Bean, uh, a little bit of a similar question. In this case, it's an absence of a behavior. My Catahoula is very well behaved and listens to me ninety percent of the time. Um, I hear that a lot. Ninety percent of the time, a dog that's ninety percent trained is not trained. I'm just busting your chops, uh, but that actually is the is the case. Like if it's good ninety percent of the time, it's the ten percent that's going to bite you in the ass uh, when you need it to be that it's not. However. You say, whenever we're getting ready for a walk, going to the beach, do something she loves, she gets so excited, overly excited that she starts yelling and just making all kinds of noises. Is there a way to get her to not be so loud when she's excited? Yes. And again, this is no different than incessant barking, which there's a couple questions uh, about that as well. So this will address all of them is that those noises, I'll just give you a, a kind of a hypothetical is let's say, for example, that you are getting ready to. Uh, to load the car up and you grab all your keys, the leash, you know, your beach stuff, whatever. And she starts losing her fucking mind. Let her lose her mind and stand there and ignore it until she stops. The second she stops, you mark and reward it. You need to buffer that into a training session. Don't decide that you're going to get one repetition of her doing that and then go to the beach. And, and now you've taken 12 steps back. You've got to to get rid of that context. And I encourage you to check out the a plus B equals C Uh, formula lesson that I I do on the online stuff that addresses that. But that's essentially what it is, is the the presence of a, you know, in, in this case, it's all of the stuff that you're getting ready to do. Plus B is getting into the car and going, getting ready to, or actually going to do it equals C going and doing the fun things. So A plus B equals C in this case has happened enough times where now the presence of A just getting your stuff together in in the dog's mind equals C and that anticipation is is why you're seeing that behavior. So you have to break that context, that that contextual association of A and C. So now make it not equal it in terms of wearing it out and uh, wait for the cessation of that behavior and then mark reward it and move down the road uh so you're you're rewarding the absence of it and you want to break the context of of that behavior. Another video, I, I address the same thing of, of breaking context and building context. One of the lessons is to do both, is to pick a behavior where you specifically make A plus B equals C and you build that context to, to train or create a behavior in a dog, and then you pick one that you don't like, and you figure out what the context is by working backwards, and then you you, you break that context by making A plus B not equal C enough to where they stop anticipating it. So, again, very simple, uh, but take some some time and planning and thought process uh k underscore keto asks what are your opinions on dogs and anxiety meds i.e prozac trazodone for separation anxiety in general do you feel that when a dog has severe issues it's beneficial when paired with training or do you think it compromises things great question uh fairly common one anxiety meds i i think i view them in dogs like i do with people is that uh, generally i don't like them uh I'm not going to say that I, I, you would never use them or, or that they should not not ever be used in any circumstance. I would say that generally speaking, um, they're way over utilized and way over prescribed both in people and in dogs. Uh, and I think that the the reality of it is, is that the reason for them being prescribed is the same, is that it's a it's a lack of. Of stimulation, uh, primarily mental, uh, but also physical. Those two things cure so many things. Again, in both people and dogs, that it's mind numbing that uh, that we dope dope ourselves up. Uh, before I would use any of those, I would not just physically exercise the dog. And I see this a lot where people say, you know, the dog has anxiety or they've got so much energy, so I'm just going to wear them out. But they're not doing any any brain games. They're, they're not building the dog's mental stimulation and that that mental engagement that's actually making them think. And no different than, you know, pick, pick any time in, in the history of your life where you've been mentally stressed. Whether it's cramming for a test or let's say, you know, a week of finals in high school where, you know, physically you're not doing jack shit. Uh, but you're spending, you know, all day, every day, sitting down, working your brain hard thinking like at the end of the day, you're fucking exhausted. Like you haven't done anything physical and you are spent like you've got no piss and vinegar left whatsoever. You want to do nothing but sleep. Now couple that with also getting physical exercise and you can see where the benefit would be with a dog who has separation anxiety. Whereas if you make them think, do lots of training sessions where you're, you're using free shaping to get them to think and offer behaviors and, and problem solve and figure things out in conjunction with exercising them, that is, is step one. Is that a guarantee that they're not going to be uh, anxiety ridden? No, but that is absolutely going to help. Uh, it, it, it fixes it way more times than not. And it's, it's for sure the step I would take prior to doping them up and giving them Prozac or, or Xanax or whatever. So start with that. Now for dogs that, you know, I, I get this again all the time where people say, you know, I, I work my dog out, you know, three hours a day physically and then he's still just a total pain in the ass. You know, essentially what you're doing when you exercise a dog that, that has a high level of energy is you're conditioning him and giving him a, a gas tank to be an even bigger pain in the ass. Um, You know, you're conditioning him to be a better pain in the ass Uh, if you're not stimulating him mentally and and engaging with him, um, you know, from a from a cerebral standpoint. So very, very important. Do lots of of figuring things out. And, And if your dog is already nails on training, teach him an arbitrary skill like fucking planking or. Uh, you know targeting you know pick a you can take a cone and teach him to go bump it with his nose on on command from different directions different distances teach him an arbitrary skill just for the fun of it that makes him think and distracts deflects and ultimately gets rid of them focusing on whatever the fucking problem is so uh, I'm a big fan of of that combination uh, in conjunction with really good food Uh, I got some questions on that which I'll talk about uh, here when I get to them but proper nutrition is also uh, commensurate or, or paramount rather with um you know with your your dog's ability to to be healthy and, and not be a total pain in your ass so good food lots of mental stimulation good physical stimulation and exercise all in conjunction with that coupled with a manipulated environment and a structured uh, situation where you're kenneling him or crating him when you're gone after he's been emotionally and physically exhausted with a belly full of good food and i think you'll find that um You'll see a lot less of those incidences. One shameless plug: the Trico CBD oil that we sell. Uh, I mean, look at the reviews. Like we've got tons of people who have uh, have bought the product and and given it to the dogs in this conjunction. You tack that on to everything else that I just mentioned, and that's going to give you your best chance of not having to use meds. If you've done all of that in conjunction with the oil and given it, you know, a solid, you know, couple of months of work on that and the dog is still anxiety ridden then yes I would uh, I would look at at chemical options of uh, of some of the anti-anxiety meds um, next question spills over and from the last one uh, it's Lewin Grover says will the CBD oil help a hyperactive dog who gets plenty of exercise settle down again uh, it's, it's kind of that same thing. Uh, CBD oil is, is a fantastic resource for helping with a lot of things and it works best when it's used in conjunction with a solid training regimen. But the, the biggest key component here is, and, and here's the key three to four mile runs daily plus playtime and, and the dog won't settle down nonstop energy, make them think again you know if if all you're doing is exercising him you're, he's becoming better and better at being an asshole so make him think and work his brain um part of the question is you know when is a good time to uh, to give the oil uh, in terms of age wise really i mean past you know once a dog is 8 weeks you can you can start giving it to him um you know it depends on why you're administering it but the the host of benefits uh, I encourage you to check out the website are, are pretty, pretty lengthy and significant. So, um, you know, I'm a, obviously an advocate and a proponent of giving it to dogs, uh, you know, on a routine basis for a host of reasons, but all right, next question, puppy Priya GSD. Uh, I have a 15 week old German shepherd. What's the best way to introduce her to our cat? I've heard anything from introduce them immediately and let them sort it out to wait months and months, allowing them to see each other before physically allowing them to interact the puppy seems very eager to play and the cat seems very pissed by the puppy's excitement. Go figure. Pussy will do that, won't it? Uh, I'm afraid that we wait too long and the cat won't be able to, to put the puppy in her place because she'll be so big. I would love to hear your thoughts. One thing that that struck me in your question is if we wait too long, the cat won't be able to put the puppy in her place. Now, let me ask you something. If you, I don't know if you have kids or not, but let's just say that you do. Do you think it's your ch- one of your child's responsibilities to put the other child in its place, or is that your fucking job? We all know the answer. That's your fucking job. Uh, it's not the cat's responsibility to put the dog in, in its place. That is a hundred percent yours, and that's one of the the problems I think with um, with a lot of people. And I'm not picking on you, so don't take it that way. You know, we're all we're all adults here, and uh, and that's part of the discussion. But the reality of it is this: is that To answer your question on on kind of the technical aspect is that I I am a huge fan of crating things next to each other for a period of days, weeks, months, however long it takes until they stop giving a fuck about each other. Because, you know, with animals, they they know when they're right next to another animal, even in a crate. Um, So I would have the cat in some sort of, you know, carrier or or whatever you want to put them in or even just have them loose and have the puppy... Uh, in a crate, right there, where they can see it, smell it, hear it, whatever, and, and stop being so excited about it. Now, a fifteen-week-old puppy, you don't have the repetition in that in that puppy's bank to be able to to keep the the amount of obedience and in uh, the cessation of uh, of impulse or impulse control in a fifteen-week-old puppy. So you have to physically manipulate that, i.e., with a crate uh, or keeping them from from interacting. You should not. Force the cat to deal with the dog coming up and, and being all up in its space and whatever any, any different than, you know, you would allow your kids to jump on, you know, company's lap or each other if, if they're not supposed to, et cetera. So uh, keep that in mind is that, you know, the, the same rules of personal space should apply to your dogs that they do with your kids and guests and other family members. While you go through the training process, again, you know if you, if you take the foundations portion of, of the online training and go through it with this dog, after about five or six months, you should be at a place, if you've put the time in, where you've got the amount of control to where the dog's going to ignore the cat because you're, you're making sure that he's ignoring the cat. Uh, it's fine to be curious. It's fine to look over at it. But, you know, by using focus and engagement eye contact and control work with that dog it's your job to teach that dog not to mess with the cat uh, and vice versa frankly i mean I, I it sounds like the cat's probably not going to go mess with the dog um, but if that's the case on the transverse you know it's not cool to, to if a cat is invading a dog's personal space and they don't want it there the same rule applies is that uh, get control of that pussy. anyway that's the gist on that uh, i'm going to reiterate again that uh it's, it's imperative that, uh, that you take it upon yourself and not let them sort it out. You teach them what the rules and boundaries are, and, and don't let either one of your pets or any of them uh, feel like it's, it's on them to determine uh, keeping other animals in check. All right, uh, Jill Nugent, I would love to hear your thoughts, vision for optimal animal shelter behavior programs, practices for canines that find themselves in an animal shelter. I'm glad you asked, Jill here's my take and this is what i'm i'm looking to incorporate is is packages with the online training with these behavior uh pro as a behavior program and practice for animal shelters uh, or rescues so that it's a a greatly cost reduced option for people uh, that are getting a dog out of a shelter um, looking at launching a campaign to to accommodate something to that effect but to me there, there needs to be some guidance. Uh, so that is my thought and vision is I would love to help, you know, anybody that, that adopts or rescues a dog, uh, from a shelter is that, is that they get enrolled immediately. Like that's part of the adoption process is they get enrolled into the team dog training resource and, and make a commitment to themselves, the dog and the shelter to, to adhere to the program and follow it. I think, Uh, It would work uh, very well in in terms of gaining leaps and bounds of not having dogs in and out of shelters and being returned because people are are being educated and then also also in turn educating and communicating with their dogs what the expectations are so that everybody's on the same page and uh, and the dogs aren't uh, becoming problems and going back. So that's uh, that's what I would love to see. We're we're looking at working on that. All right. Let's see. Josh Cheney, 175 had uh, put my two Jack Russells down. Uh, love to get a new, another dog, but I'm gone 10 hours a day and feel it's unfair to the dog to be home alone for that long of a time. I'm trying to make my kids understand if they had to piss or shit, they couldn't hold it for 10 hours. Thoughts. It's a good and common question, Josh. Um, two things. Uh, do I think it's fair to leave a dog uh, home alone for 10 hours? Well, there's 14 hours out of that day where they're not home alone. Uh, now, Is being home alone for 10 hours ideal? No, it isn't. Uh, In terms of making them hold it, they're not going to hold it. I mean, not until the dog is at least a year old or thereabouts uh, to where you could even have any realistic expectation of them holding their bladder um, for that long. Um, That's where I would use a kennel environment, vice a crate. I would use the crate while you're there interacting with it and can get the dog in and out and structure your training around that and when you're going to be gone for too long for them to hold it have a kennel environment set up where they can go to the bathroom in the in that kennel run. Realize having them especially if it's starting out with a puppy or even a rescue whatever is that having them in that kennel run for 10 hours a day where they're they're going to the bathroom is going to make it more difficult to potty train and house break that dog. No two ways about it doesn't make it impossible Uh, but for sure is going to confuse the dog a little bit and make it a little more difficult to do that. Uh, To me, it's a judgment call. You know, it's personal preference. I would probably still have a dog. Uh, Some people may say that's bullshit. That's that's your opinion. My opinion is that, you know, if you structure it right, you know, you can absolutely have a dog even with a busy schedule. Just realize that, you know, now when you're you're not working and you're not, you know, when you are home from that 10-hour shift is that, that's not the time to put your feet up and and watch football um you know or take a nap or uh, sit in the fucking hot tub and hang out and and get get shit faced like if you're bringing a dog in that's a that's a responsibility and you need to uh you need to recognize that and spend that time that you are home really working with that dog and physically and and mentally engaging and stimulating it so uh, that's my take uh, Orion Holmes, what resources did you pull from when develop, developing your system of training dogs? Um, the short answer is all of them. You know, to me, my if you want to call it uh, my system, it's not really mine. I mean, it's it's a conglomerate of um, it's a melting pot of of every dog person I've ever come in contact with. Uh, you know, I've learned a lot of things from a lot of people and. I uh, learned a lot of things on my own of of fucking it up or learning the hard way, but um, you know, to me, the short answer is 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 you should get as many training resources as possible. Like you should train with as many people as you can. Uh, volunteer at shelters if it's police work. You know, try to get in with the local P- PDs and, and volunteer or help there. If it's search and rescue, if it's agility, I mean, whatever it is, the more experience and exposure you have to being around dogs and reading them, uh, the better. Um, to me, there's, there's an inherent value in going to shelters and, and helping out there and just observing dogs and, and canine behavior. You'll, I, I believe you'll learn more about reading a dog, which really is, is kind of the backbone and the crux to being a good dog trainer is, is you've got to have an innate, almost primal sense of non-verbally being able to com- both communicate and more importantly, read that dog and understand what, what it's doing and why it's doing it. Um, and you, you're, you're only going to learn that by experience and, and having a lot of repetitions with a lot of different dogs doing different shit for different reasons. So, um, you know, I've, I've pulled from every resource uh, possible is, uh, is the gist of it. JB Harpat, uh, what do you use to clean your dog's ears? I have a lab mix and he's seven. Um, I use Epiotic, uh, which is a company or a brand rather that, uh, just, it's a, a dog cleaning solution. So I'll. Put that in the dog's ears, um, gently massage it with my hand, uh, holding their, their head up so that uh, it's getting in there and breaking up whatever the problem is. Uh, and then gently uh, take a paper towel and uh, or a baby wipe and uh, just very, very gently kind of start to clean it out. I don't like to dig my fingers in there. Uh, generally, they're going to shake their head. Um, after you do that, I just try to get kind of the bulk of, of the fluid uh, volume-wise Soaked up with a paper towel so that when they shake their head, it's not getting all over the place. But uh, that stuff works really, really well.
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law, 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. (laughs) The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void we're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh,
1: Unless, I mean, even if it's a a specific infection, like if it's, you know, a yeast or fungus or, or some sort of an ear infection like that that's relatively common, um even then i'd still use that stuff in conjunction with uh, some sort of uh, gram specific positive or negative depending on, upon what the infection is uh, antibiotic that's going to address that but uh, yeah that's that's what i do scott da- uh scott tack williams 77 uh, how would you incorporate how would incorporating your style of training for bird hunting i see most people incorporate e collars but i would rather not i you know honestly I would follow the online training, um, but your A your A plus B equals C and you're getting from A to B is going to be for specifically for hunting. So all of the same behaviors that you want for hunting, uh, you're going to teach and train them the same way you do all of the basic obedience behaviors that uh, that I showcase in terms of shaping behavior, teaching it in a classroom, and, and marking and reinforcing it the exact same way. I'm not opposed to e-collars. I use them uh, not very often, but... Um, you know, I go through my process first before I ever even worry about an e-collar or even trying to incorporate it. Uh, so I would, I would go about it that way. Uh, photo, it's you. Uh, I have a mal that spins when I first put him in the kennel. And when I say spin, I mean, Taz, like I haven't exactly done great training this out of him. I've done the opposite and draw attention to it and let me get worked up. I've tried drawing attention to me and a treat. I've tried clicking reward as soon as it stops. I'd love to properly break this behavior, but I'm not doing it right. I did post about this in the forums as well a long while ago. Any insight? Um, there's, there's a couple things. Um, you know, number one, when you say you you haven't done a good job training and out of them, and, and you get worked up, that's a big part of the problem. Is that if you're getting pissed off and emotionally charged, that's not the time to train your dog. Put them up and, and go away. The other thing too is. When putting a dog into a kennel environment uh, and they start spinning at that point, to me, there's there's a level of of realistically, you know, I would say more times than not. in the warrior dogs, I mean, again, are a great example is that most of them, when we first put them back, they'll start spinning like that. When you leave, they stop. Can you stand there and, and wait for the absence of the behavior and, and go through those training sessions? Yeah, you can. And that's how I would do it. And if you've tried that, I would just say, if it's not working, you haven't done it long enough, there will come a point at which the dog will understand spinning isn't getting him anything. If it's that big of a deal to you where you're going to make that a priority, then do that. My opinion is uh, who gives a shit, frankly, um, is that if, if he's spinning, walk away from him and ignore him. You know, if if there's that barrier between you and him and he's amped up and you're you're fueling that fire walk away from it. Um, You know, that's just my take on it is that I don't, I don't really see a point in spending hours and days and weeks and months trying to train that spinning behavior out of him while you're standing there after you've just put him up for, for what Um, can you do it? Yeah, but it's going to be difficult because he's spun up and and you're essentially waiting for a, uh, a really high level of drive in terms of why that behavior is manifesting into that because he's frustrated uh, or excited or both. And so you're working against genetics to a certain extent. And again, on on the broader spectrum, I would say, why do you want to do that? If it's that important to you, continue to do it and and do four, five, six, seven training sessions every day, three, four, five minutes of getting him to stop spinning, marking and rewarding. And that's all you're doing. You know, don't ever get him out. Like, again, if it's that big of a deal, that's how I would approach it is walk up to the kennel. If he starts spinning, wait for him to stop, mark it and reward it and, and do that four or five minutes and then leave and come back several hours later and do that again and teach him to stop spinning that way. Uh, and it may take weeks. Again, if that's worth it to you and it's that important, do it and that's how I would do it. D. Bosch, 22 Mike, I have a three-year-old rescued Pyrenees mix and have purchased two years and I'm a team dog member. I've gone through the first month, but I'm having real trouble with Duke. I want to train him because he has the normal bad manners of a spoiled dog. My problem is he has absolutely no food drive or ball drive. I've followed your steps, read your book, but I can't seem to get Duke to respond to anything that I have, um, I actually answered this a little bit. Uh, I think on uh, on Instagram, but here's here's my take with with food. And, and I know a couple of the members went back and forth because I asked, you know, hey, are you feeding the dog? The short answer is, every single dog in the world is going to have food drive at some point. Um, a lot of people think that that's a that's an extreme approach, or that uh, you're being a dick by. Uh, by starving your dog, et cetera. It, it's not. Um, and I, I'm happy to have that debate with, with anybody uh, that thinks uh, the opposite. But uh, the reality of it is this, is that you know, food is a, is a primary reinforcer that the dog is not going to ignore to the point to which he's going to starve himself. And, and by starve himself, I mean when he's legitimately and, and literally hungry. Dogs wanting food and being hungry are two very, very different things you know, if the dog, if you can't see a tuck in in his stomach and in in an outline of his rib cage and feel his hips very easily, A, he's overweight and B, you know, that's the starting point. Like that's the ideal body condition for a dog. So if he's not that way, you could stand and not feed him for several days without even offering it to him uh, before you start offering it to him and and try to do it through training. So that's step one. Just like with people, most dogs are fat asses uh, and they need to lose weight. And so to say my dog has no food drive, that just what that tells me is that, that you haven't structured it properly. Um, go through uh, and rewatch the foundation videos where I talk about structuring the dog's you know, crate environment, and do that. Uh, if if you use food and engagement with that dog, and by engagement I mean interaction. So that dog is in a crate other than when you're training it. And when you get him out, you're interacting and you're shaping and marking and reinforcing behavior. When you're done doing that, he goes back into the crate. And you do that for a period of it could be a few weeks, it could be a few months. That is your boot camp. That is where you're hitting the reset button and teaching the dog everything. And so people ask, "Well, I don't want to have to crate my dog for his whole life." But you you don't have to. You know, I didn't have to go through boot camp for 10 years to figure out how to be a sailor. Uh, it took two months, and even that 's debatable, <laughs> but uh you know the reality of it is is that you know th- that 's what has to be done and If you structure that to where the dog is bored out of his mind and starting to become hungry he 's going to look at that food like it 's a whole new program you know he 's going to go from not giving a shit and bouncing it off his nose to where he 'll do whatever the hell you want him to for it, and he 'll love doing it. Watch some of the videos of of chance the the rescue dog that uh, that we took in at the start of, uh, of the second year of the training. It's in some of the foundation videos. He's a, a caramel colored pit bull mix looking dog. That was about a year old. Same thing. When I pulled him out of the shelter, he was about five, six pounds overweight and could not give less of a fuck about food and didn't care about toys either. Uh, within a couple of weeks, that dog was working for me like the most food driven malinois in the world. And he wasn't, a sack of bones he was a nice lean healthy ripped out muscular dog and, and looked fantastic and worked like a like a beast so uh, that will happen with your dog too this is one thing where i promise you that will happen if you do it right follow the steps in the program as prescribed and it will happen jw cook uh, 17 two and a half year old gsd with submissive urination problems best way to handle this tell him to grow a set no i'm kidding First things first is, you know, you're asking about medication training, building confidence. It's just started to occur more more frequently. I would ask, has he been to the vet? Uh, has everything, you know, I, I would get a urinalysis. I would get a blood panel and see if there are any underlying issues. And I would rule that out first. If there are no issues with that, then yes. Um, the The building confidence and trying to not be overbearing is key. You using positive reinforcement and engagement in conjunction with kind of ignoring the dog. You know, if you're if you're seeing it where you approach the dog, go to pet him, tower over him, uh, try to clip a leash to him. I mean, I I don't know what exactly or when these situations are happening, but that's generally when you see it is when you go try to interact with a dog that doesn't really want to be interacted with maybe in, in the manner in which you're doing it. And they get a little submissive or scared and piss themselves. So think being stoic. Pretend like the dog isn't even there. Act like you're a 19-year-old Marine in a bar trying to pull some hot ass. Uh, Actually, don't do that because they're going to do the opposite of that. They're going to be obnoxious as fuck. Who are we kidding? Uh, What you need to do is ignore it. Ignore the dog. Wait for the dog to come to you. When it does, builds a little bit of confidence by coming over to you. Mark and reward it and then walk away from it. In your house, it comes over again. Mark, reward it and walk away again. Uh, Break that and, and wear that scariness that's existing in the dog to... Uh, to solicit that type of behavior, again, unless there's a medical condition, um, that that should help you out by building building that confidence and just trying to trying to be a little more stoic and even keeled in how you deal with it. Slug Mike, hey Mike, I need your help. I have a year old female Belgian Malinois. She has bad separation anxiety and is a pain in the ass to take to the vet because she hates men. Besides me, has no issues with females. Does not tolerate other dogs. Now this is very similar to the one that I answered earlier. However, the difference here. Uh, that I want to highlight uh, very simply is is the, the take you know, the, the, the context of, of men or taking to the vet as an example is that use the vet as a training experience, as a training session, rather. Take the dog to the vet when you don't have an appointment, go there, walk in, click and treat, positive reinforce, contextually associate good positive associations or, or uh, situations with that, and then leave. Um, and do that with men too. take them out and take the dog out in town. And, you know, if if, if the dog looks at, at a guy and doesn't uh, respond, mark and reward it. If they look at a dog and uh, another dog and they freak out or a guy and they freak out, wait for them to stop freaking out. And the second they give you some eye contact, mark and reward it use that as your, your distractor essentially. But the difference here is that, uh, that, you know, you're going to implement that out in town. If it's specific things that are out in town that you cannot replicate at your house, i.e. a vet's office, uh, with the guys, same thing. You can do that in your house, but, but do it in, in your house, in your backyard, get that response that you're looking for, mark and reward it, and then go take it out in town. AKM McDowell 621. How do I get my dog involved in activities like bite orc obedience trial? She needs to work and I don't think I'm doing enough on my own. I would set up a, uh, a canine Tinder account for, for the dog. That's uh, I mean, who, what better way to get her involved in activities? Let me get a little serious on you. So activities in general, just go do them, uh, search for your, uh, whatever activity that you want to do in your area and find like-minded people uh, and and go work with them. Uh, the one thing I will say about this and I, I, I talked about it a little bit earlier is that the, the mind games is that the mental stimulation is that's a lot of stuff you can do at home yourself. If you want the dog to get involved in activities because that's what you want to do, fantastic if you're if you're projecting and thinking that that she needs a quote unquote job which I'm not a fan of that that association with dogs, uh, generally speaking, but then you're doing it for you and not for the dog. You know, uh, if it's just a matter of the dog needs more engagement and stimulation, give them more engagement and stimulation. Uh, do it in your house by again, teaching some of those arbitrary skills that, uh, that I talked about earlier. Uh, Johnny land one, 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 how do you get a dog to stop digging? I have a one-year-old male and four-year-old Malamutes, one-year-old digs and four-year-old grew out of it, but started again. Uh, very common question. My dog is in the backyard doing shit I don't want. How do I get him to stop? Um, here's the smart-ass answer is get him to fucking stop. That sounds like a smart-ass answer, but that's actually the way it works is that go out there with them and teach them to stop digging. Now, if you're one of these people that says, well, he only does it when I'm not there, then stop having him be unattended to while you're, while you're not there. Uh, crate the dog and go out there with them. Uh, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to have to do that. Well, tough shit. Uh, you can't teach a dog to stop digging if you're not there to teach them to stop digging. Put, put yourself in the dog's shoes. If there is no consequence for doing something, how are you going to communicate that there's a consequence and you don't want them to do that? You, you really can't. Now, can you put an e-collar on the dog and stand in the window and correct them from that behavior? Yes, you can. I'm not a fan of that uh, necessarily, and here's why. Uh, Is that it's not really coming from you, Um, you know, in terms of the dog's mind is that I want that dog to understand that I'm communicating to knock that shit off. If I have a dog that I can turn loose in the backyard and and just let them be out there for a, a brief period of time on their own. Do I enjoy being able to do that? And do I do that sometimes? Yes, I do. Uh, generally speaking, if you if you don't have a dog, or just in general, I, I don't typically like to do that with a lot of dogs. For that reason, is that they may start digging. They they get bored, or uh, they see some some sort of stimulation on the other side of the fence, and now they, they start to create unwanted behaviors because you're not not there teaching the ref- left and right flank. I would rather you have the dog crated, go out there, spend five minutes with it. If it starts digging, give it a correction, redirect it back to you, focus on that, mark and reward that. Uh, if it comes to where you have to give corrections because they'll do it right in front of you, fantastic. Now you're teaching him not to do that. Uh, but to just turn a dog loose You know, for an hour or 20 minutes or five hours, however long it is, and the dog's digging out and, and causing problems, you've got to address that. Um uh, by yourself in person and, and fix it that way and, and teach and communicate to the dog that, that you don't want them to do that. All right, Doggy Dojo. Um, this is very similar, but I want to hit it again. Can we get your thoughts on physical and mental exercise for high-energy, high-drive dogs and how to use exercise as a relationship builder, not just a mindless throwing of a ball? Great question. Here's how it differs a little bit from, uh, from what we talked about is that you can do both at the same time. And here's where I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a big fan of the office space Bob's mentality of, of being an efficiency expert and getting the most bang for your buck and, and squeezing as much juice out of every minute of life that you can possibly ascertain or, or obtain rather. So the way I like to do that is with a chuck it uh, ball and chuck it wand is to exercise the shit out of the dog. And when they come back, do some obedience with them, shape some behavior, mark and reward it, uh, you know, do some problem solving, engage with them that way. Uh, so you're kind of killing two birds with one stone is that you're, you're getting the yayas out in terms of the dog, uh, you know, really, uh, blowing its wad physically, but, but you're not just teaching him to be a better asshole. You're incorporating, uh, some of these mind games and mental stimulation and engagement with, Uh, with those sessions as well. So uh, do both. Uh, Sam Bones Jones 25, what are your thoughts about using an e-collar for corrections, especially in terms of off-leash training and other dog-human reactivity? Similar to to earlier where I talked about uh, go through the process as intended for six months or so without using them, Uh, try to build that repetition. And I, I have found that uh, you know, about 95, 98% of the issues you have with dogs are cleared up by going through that process as it's intended for a solid six months before you should be introducing any corrections with some exceptions. Uh, the some exceptions are dogs that are extremely high drive that are taking a shot at the title or, or that are, you know, their drive is so high to where it's dangerous just interacting with them in your training classroom, in your environment, etc., is that in those extreme cases, uh, then I may use uh, prong collars or e-collars to kind of get them to where they're, they're at least able to be dealt with day-to-day in my training environment, but that's pretty rare. Um, even with the high-drive dogs that I, I typically work with, uh, it's, it's rare that a dog is, has, has that kind of drive where it's so overblown to where it's dangerous just trying to train him in the, in the same normal environments that we're talking about. If after six months or you've, you've drilled it over and over and over and you're still having issues, that's when I would introduce the corrections. I encourage you to watch the corrections video uh, where I talk about, you know, how, how it means more at that point if you've got a good relationship built up and, and I show you some examples of me correcting a dog, you know, from food and, and treats uh, in, the, in the kitchen and, and watch his response and uh, it's a good, good verbal, or I'm sorry, visual, visual uh, example of that. All right, Con Lee underscore C, Mike, love the podcast, been a linser, listener since the first drop. Well, thank you. Uh, my question is how, how you recognize a specific skill in a dog. As an example, how would you recognize if a dog is capable of tracking or better for personal protection or just laying on your feet at home? Very simply put is that you've got to have an eye for a dog, is that you have to have trained a dog to do all of those things a number of times before you're going to be able to look at that dog and say, this dog is a good fit for X. If you haven't, uh, you're essentially guessing. What I would recommend is that if you've not done that is, t- is take the dog somewhere unbiased you know, with a professional trainer who has trained dogs to do all of the things that you mentioned uh, and have them evaluate it and give their personal, personal opinion. Most of it is going to be genetics. I, I mean, I would say 99% of it is going to be genetics. How you recognize if a dog is capable of that is by putting them through the paces and testing them you know, for tracking, I look at hunt drive, environmental nerve, uh, you know, whether or not they get distracted while they're hunting uh, with some exterior distractions that I've uh, purposely put in place to see if, if they continue to hunt uh, personal protection. I, I have a whole process of, of staking out a dog and, and putting them in a host of different environments to see if they have the sack and and uh, fortitude and spine to be able to, to protect themselves and and human beings uh, when a, a predatorial figure is standing in front of them, not scared, capable of hurting them and intent on doing so, uh, how they respond. Uh, just laying at your feet, same thing. I would put the dog through kind of a therapy test type of environment and see, uh, you know, how, how good their environmental nerve is, if they if they startle easy, if they have any defensiveness, uh, any nerve issues, whatever, uh, and then go off of that. So, you know, it, it really just depends on what, what you're looking for or just have a, a trained professional Uh, evaluate the dog and give you their opinion on what uh, what they would be a good fit for and then go with that you know if somebody says hey this dog is doesn't have what it takes to be a personal protection dog and you say well i'll take it to somebody who's going to train it uh, if they say they can train it they're selling you a line of shit so you know use genetics to to determine what that dog needs to be for you is, is my best advice uh nh madman mike can you tell what a dog's personality will be as an adult when picking one from a litter not really um puppies are a crapshoot which is why i don't fuck with them very often uh there are some things that you can do and that i recommend i outline a, a significant process in the team dog book uh, as well as a video representation when i i went up to a shelter and picked chance and I i evaluated several different dogs and i show what i what i do and what i look for so i encourage you to check that out but uh, the gist of it is, is I like to take them somewhere, where I know they haven't been, um, and and put them through some environmental circumstances and experiences that uh, that if a dog is nervy and a little bit shy or anxious or defaults to defensive aggression towards certain things that they don't understand or whatever, you're generally going to see some of that. In an eight-week-old puppy, however, it's going to be very very scaled back, uh, generally speaking. So. Uh, the dog may, may turn into, uh, something a little more significant, uh, as they get older. And some of it is going to be the, the environments that you put them in or fail to put them in to prepare them, uh, adequately. Some of it, a lot of it's going to be genetic, but uh, short answer is, is not really, um, you know, so it's, uh, you're, you're kind of rolling the dice when you pick, uh, pick a puppy. That's just the reality. Uh, Rick, 1285. How do I train my wife to follow what I've been trying to teach my dog? Brother, I'll tell you what, if I had the answer to that, uh, I'd be a fucking billionaire. No, I'm kidding. Uh, how do you train your wife to do anything, Rick? Um, you know, that's, that's uh, life's greatest fucking question, I think. So here's the deal. So you, you say you do 24 to 48 hour tours, two to three times a week when you're away, the dog runs the house. Um, honestly, what I would do, uh, and this is a bit of an extreme measure, uh, cause you say when, when you come home, she's a total nutbag. And the wife says only acts that way when you come home. Uh, either the dog misses the shit out of me or my wife's trying to get rid of me. Maybe it's a little bit of both Rick. I don't know. Uh, maybe put some nanny cams in there and see what the fuck's really going on. Um, maybe, maybe you'll find some shit you didn't want to know. Who knows what I would do is I would have the dog kenneled, uh, while you're gone. You know, if it's, 24 to 48 hour tours two to three times a week. I mean, I would set up a kennel run at your house cause that's a pretty significant amount of time. Uh, and you essentially want to neutralize that time. So you're not taking steps back. You're just hitting the pause button while you're gone, you know, and instruct the wife, to just feed and care for the dog make sure that the dog is you know has food and water and, and is cleaned up after while you're gone and then when you get home crate the dog in your house and do your training sessions when you're away have the dog kenneled have have her taken in terms of how do you train your wife to do that i mean i i started off with a smart ass comment but uh, uh, you know to be to be honest or, or to get serious and be realistic is that you've got to fucking do it uh, I mean, you have to say, "Here's the fucking deal." Like, this is what's going to happen, and you're going to do it, or you can pack your shit. Uh, I mean, that's that's how I would I would approach it. Frankly, is that uh, if it's a priority to you and, and you 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 know want the dog to be what what you want it to be, then put your foot down and say, "This is my dog. This is my house. I'm I'm gone two to three times a week, and and here's how how it's going to work." Um, and if she doesn't want to do that and isn't willing to do that, I would probably either get rid of her or the dog i don't know which one but uh you you can't have it both ways like if she's not going to do what what you want you you either have to say honey we're not working out or we're going to rehome the dog because it's not going to work out if you're doing that amount of time being gone and taking you know all of these steps backwards i mean you're undoing and 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 being not just, I mean, you're, you're being counterproductive, uh, when you're gone, if, if all of these things are happening while you're, while you're there and, it, and it's not being followed through with, if you get it to where you, you know, you do what I am mentioning, I would, uh, you know, get the, once you get the dog to the point where, you know, he's totally dialed in, then you can start to incorporate the wife or, or somebody else into, into working with the dog, giving him commands, et cetera. But while they're, while they're learning and while you're teaching them the the, the basic obedience and, and all of the kind of manners in the house and how to be a dog as per your expectations, uh, it should be just you doing it and, uh, and being really, really consistent with it. Chris underscore Zemke. Mike, love the show and Team Dog Online. Appreciate your service. Question is... When would be a good time to start bringing my wife in on training? I have a six-month-old German Shepherd. We just started month three online. We have a pretty good bond. I know you say in the book, keep it one person early on. Should I wait until she has a better grasp on the basics? Or is it okay to teach her everything? We we're doing exactly what I said in the last one. Wait until that dog's completely dialed in. Even if you're doing great and training is going really well, do not uh, incorporate somebody in and, and give the the opportunity to Uh, to take a bunch of steps back and and undo some of that training appreciate the kind words melissa and bear i've got a two-year-old german shepherd who's too smart for his own good Uh, he's so well behaved when there's toys or treats involved but if he knows there isn't he just stares at you like i'm not gonna sit you sit human peasant any suggestions my first suggestion would be to not anthropomorphize your dog that's step one melissa um too smart for his own good. No such thing. Um, to me, you know, the smarter the dog, the better they're, they're more fun to train. The more operant they are, the more cognitively driven they are, uh, the further you can go with them and, and the more you can get out of them. So I don't know, you know, if, if you're not a team dog online member, become one first and foremost, Melissa, because the, the fact is, is that if you've got a really smart dog, Anytime I I read or hear somebody say they're only doing it when toys or treats are involved means that you're just being inconsistent with it. If you go through the process and and adhere to the program as intended, check back with me in in 12 weeks after doing all that of structuring the environment so that uh, you're building that repetition based on a manipulated environment and you're creating the dog other than when you're training and feeding him you do that for three months. And if you're still having this problem, come back to me and and we'll reevaluate it. But I would bet um, everything I own that, uh, that if you do that, you won't have, have the same problem. The gist of it is that there's not enough repetition to where you've created a behavior and you've shaped it and, and gotten it to the point where it's, where it's a conditioned response. Uh, and that happens a lot, frankly. A lot of times people, they see a little bit of progress with shaping a behavior, and then they, they shit can it and, and expect the dog to do it in any environment with no reinforcement. And, and there just isn't a big enough reinforcement history to to, to have that happen. So you just need more, more repetition. J Bones question. Best way to minimize itchy, dry skin in your dog? I've tried oils and other allergy concoctions. However, I wonder if there's a way to introduce a specific food which will help lessen itching. Any advice? I, I would first see, you know, take the dog to the vet and have like a dermatologist specialist and see if there's uh, any specific issues. Other than if it's just a little bit itchy and dry, and there's not like massive problems, to me, raw food is going to be going to be your best bet. Um, you know, raw food is is unquestionably uh, what I recommend to everybody to switch to, whether it's dehydrated or uh, raw, frozen. You know, switching to that first and see if that that gets rid of your problems, because way more times than not, um, that's the that's the issue is it's something in a dry food, some sort of filler or uh, something like that that uh, that's going to cause that. In terms of how you introduce it, switch them over. You know, to me. Uh, just switch them over to a good raw food. Uh, I would try the CBD oil also. That tends to help with immune, uh, immunosuppressive issues, which could could be uh, an issue with it, uh, as well as salmon oil or some sort of good omega three type oil, and and give that a shot. But the big thing I think is is switching over to a good raw food, uh, and I would I would go that way. Gordon Beyer, I've never used a clicker in the two plus decades of training dogs. Question is twofold. Why does it work? And is it too late to start with a three-year-old Czech GSD titled in NADF? No, uh, it's never too late. Um, why does it work? Uh, very simply is that if you think about the way a dog's mind works, which is that A plus B equals C, it makes the simple associations with everything, is that... What the clicker does very simply is it gives you a a completely and and purely consistent mark uh, or bridge from whatever is taking place to a reward. So it's 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 connecting that dot. That's why it works. Is that it, it it's you know speaking dog essentially. Is you have you now with that or with anything? I mean you can use a verbal marker. You can use snapping your fingers. I like to use a clicker because it's. It's unique. Nothing else sounds like it. So the dog's not gonna not gonna be confused by by it happening and and not training or whatever. But but that that's really it's that simple. Is that you know you have the ability to now communicate to your dog what you're doing is what I want, and what you're doing equals you know you getting a reward for doing that. It, it pairs the behavior to the reward, and and that's it. Think of it like taking a snapshot. You know, it's like taking a picture of the dog's behavior, and then being able to explain to him, do you see? you know, this, this is what I wanted and this is why you're getting your paycheck. Yeah, no different than, you know, weightlifting or gymnastics or physical skills that, uh, you know, when you videotape yourself and you learn a lot more about the mechanics and things of that nature is that it's kind of that same, same thing is that the dog now understands the position that they're in, the behavior that they're performing uh, or doing uh, slash offering is, is what is getting them what it is that they want. And so that's, that's the, uh, the beauty of it. It's the simplicity of it and ultimately why it uh, why it works. M Bailing 91, how do I train my dog to stop doing a specific behavior that she only does when I'm not around? She sometimes chews on wooden furniture when I leave her home alone, but never does it when I'm there so I haven't been able to catch her in the act. Very, very simple solution, crate the dog. There is no way to stop that while you're not around. Uh, if she will never do it while you're around, she needs to be crated when you're not around. It's that simple there is not, in my opinion, a conducive or effective long-term solution to doing that. Uh, What I would say is that on top of that is that do short sessions um, where she's crated while you're there and then gone and then there and gone and and build up the amount of time you're leaving her uh, crated so that you're making positive associations and not making it a negative experience for her. So, uh, she doesn't start to make the association of she's only created when you're gone for long periods of time is introduce that that way so that, you know, start feeding her in there, put her in there for brief periods while you're around, let her out, put her back in, leave for a little bit, come back take her out, you know, just mix it up so that, so that there's not that uh, contextual association and she she's making, uh, you know, that that relationship. So uh, I would do that. Jason P75 when working in that first lesson with eye contact uh, click plus reward do we need to have a certain amount of sustained eye contact or just a glance my German shepherd looks me in the eye and then looks my hands right away since that's where the treat is coming from um, but I if I hold off and refrain from rewarding can I get more sustained eye contact which is better in this case All right great question uh, at first I like to do just the glance and it's the instant that their eyes meet yours, you mark it. That's where your timing has got to be really Johnny on the spot and be, be accurate and and really quick to, to be, you know, exactly how, how you want it from there. You're just like with everything else. Think of it like a downstay is that, you know, you're going to slowly build on, on that amount of eye contact and you can, you can do it one of two ways. You can, you can mark right away and wait to reward a little bit, or you can build or scale the amount of time that needs to transpire uh, for the, the actual mark or the click to take place. Now, the way I like to do it to keep it consistent with everything else is the criteria is in the length of the behavior and don't mess with the click. Uh, I, I have used it that way where you're delaying the reward a little bit uh, and sometimes with like a down as an or a a stay as an example you can do that. Uh, You may use that as kind of a bridge to build uh, some of that time of eye contact but generally speaking uh, I like to just scale up and increase the the criteria or length of eye contact before the mark uh, and just do it really slow. You know so at first do you know a couple weeks of just doing instant contact and reward right away Uh, and then as As that gets uh, more and more pronounced and prominent, then wait, you know, but wait a second and then two seconds and then three seconds and then five seconds, seven, ten. You know, don't jump right from one second to two minutes and then wonder why it's not happening is that you've got to really, really slowly increase that up. And that's it's that way with any behavior where the behavior itself is is the. Uh, has has a pause or a cessation of movement uh, built into the behavior. Uh, also, like a like a down or even a heel. Uh, same thing is that if you're healing. Is at first it's the second they start healing, and then it's two seconds, five seconds, and that's how you're building the. Excuse me, the length of criteria of the behavior. All right, D Jan Drip. I do a lot of fostering and was wondering how you might handle. Very under-socialized, shy adult dogs. We end up with quite a few who aren't feral, but were probably yard dogs fed once a day, rarely touched. Being in a house can be stressful and totally unknown territory for them. We find that they will hole up in a crate and rarely come out, so I'm wondering about some techniques, steps to help expand their horizons. Food doesn't always work, as their nerves will shut that off, too. I talked a little bit about this earlier with uh, in terms of kind of ignoring a dog, and, and I would uh, recommend doing that same thing, but I would add a couple of key components Number one is try to create an environment within that household that's as conducive as possible to letting the dog relax. Now, with most dogs who are in that position, an example would be where there's not a bunch of other crazy shit going on. Like if you've got several kids running around screaming and playing and watching TV and people in and out of the house and guests and things like that, that's gonna exacerbate those nerves. So try to have it be a nice, calm, quiet Environment where you're just kind of ignoring the dog, like have the crate door open. If they're if they want to hang out in there, hey, that's fine. Uh, you know, if they come out, mark and reward it. You know, uh, feed them outside of the crate, uh, and and maybe you put it to where the food is. Is so close to where they only have to bring their first two paws out to eat it, and then they go back in. If that's the first baby step you have to take to get them to start to get more and more comfortable coming out of the crate, hey, do that, you know. But but more importantly, don't try to bait them in terms of you, you know, coddling or or um, you know, calling them over and, and drawing a bunch of attention to you and the dog and, and making it weird. Uh, as, as they say, um, you know, just try to ignore the dog and, and set, set that environment up to where it's nice and calm and relaxed. And there's not a bunch of crazy shit going on. Uh, and then, you know, gently, um, get the dog to come out, uh, by using different motivating factors. And then once, once they do it, don't make a huge deal out of it. That's going to put them back in that turtle shell, so to speak. So that's how I would uh, go about that bully mont uh, hey mike 16 month old mal uh, overall very good last month we've been dealing with sleep aggression if i accidentally touch him while he's sleeping he wakes up in a panic and tries to bite sometimes he realizes it's me and stops himself twice he's made contact the harder i work him the harder he crashes and the problem worsens if i don't work him he's better however that will open a new can of worms how do i handle this Boy, Matt, that is a strange behavior for sure. Uh, one that I've only I've only had one dog uh, in out of all the dogs I've ever had that, that was that way. I, I would crate the dog while they sleep. For now, now sixteen months old. Uh, I don't know how long you've had him. If he's you know if you've had him since he was eight weeks, and, and you're this far in the relationship. To me, there's there's probably a, an underlying reason for that, and it you know it's it's hard to say without knowing more of of the story and and what his background is or isn't. To be able to ascertain what that may be stemming from um but what i would say is uh, i would crate the dog and then that way if you do wake him up he doesn't have the ability to to have a repetition of making contact or trying to make contact with you now i would not go and fuck with him while he's sleeping in the crate but do things to where if he wakes up you're right there he's right there he realizes you can't uh make you know you can't have contact made with him uh, but you're doing things that are going to wake him up while he's crated. Like I said, don't go over and kick the crate, but do things, you know, around the house where those noises are going to wake him up and he's going to go from sleep to awake, sleep to awake, a lot of repetitions where he doesn't have the ability to to do that to you. Um, I would start with that. Uh, and frankly, you know, do lots of repetitions of that weeks, maybe even months of having him always sleep in uh, in a crate. And frankly, at that age, uh, I would be crating him when you're not training him anyway, um, maybe kind of hit the reset button, watch some of the videos I talk about hitting the reset button in terms of structuring with crate training and things to to build that relationship and, and try to ease his nerves out a little bit. One more thing I would add to that is that, you know, when you talk about if if you don't work him, uh, I would be curious to know what, what type of work it is that you're talking about. Generally, if, if, uh, if you're just doing physical work, uh, and not as much mental stimulation and engagement, I can see where that may be exacerbated. Whereas if it was the transverse where you're working him really hard mentally and not as hard physically, not, not at all, but just not as hard physically that, uh, give that a shot and see, uh, see if that helps mellow him out a little bit, but ultimately create him. Don't give him the ability to redirect on you, uh, and work lots of repetitions where you're waking him up and, and he can't do it and see how that goes. Coach Stewie, what are some tips for getting an older dog that hasn't been conditioned to have his nail trims and ears cleaned to stay calm and accept the process? Good question. Um, a very common one. Same thing as, as really any behavior that you're trying to introduce slowly to a dog that they're not real comfortable with is, is um, you know, baby step it. What I like to do with, uh, with both of those things is, and where I see a lot of people screw up is when I look at where they're trying to trim the nails and clean the ears, it's usually like in their house. The dog's laying down sleeping next to a couch or on a dog bed or something like that. And they're going over to the dog and then or calling him over to him or whatever. It's in a normal, relaxed environment where the dog is, you know, spent hours or, you know, hundreds or thousands of hours of its life being nice and calm and relaxed. And now you're kind of fucking with their chi, if you will. Uh, so what I like to do is take them outside, take them into an, an environment where, you know, maybe you've played a lot of ball with them and play ball with them. You know, like I I do that a lot with brushing, uh, right? A a lot of times dogs that we get in, some of the warrior dogs do not like being brushed. They hate the physical contact and they, they view it as you fucking with them and they get kind of shitty with you about it. So I'm not going to go into their kennel run while they're all full of piss and vinegar in their space and try to grab their collar and brush them right there. Instead, I'll take them out We'll play ball for a few minutes. They're they're having fun. We're walking along, and and while we're walking, maybe I throw a couple of brush strokes while we're walking, and they have a ball in their mouth. I have them out it, and I throw it again. I'm I'm kind of slipping that in uh, to to an otherwise normal activity that they're doing that kind of has them distracted from what you're doing. And so with all that stuff, uh, you know, if it's trimming a nail, same thing is that you know, wear them out first, you know, physically get them tired to where they're going to be less likely to give you shit anyway. Uh, or, or they're not going to care as much if it's just being uncomfortable because they're so, so tired from playing ball that it's not as big of a deal. And that's with both nails and with ears, but you know, don't, don't grab the dog when he's full of piss and vinegar in a place he's normally comfortable with and try to trim every one of his fingernails for 20 minutes straight. You know, Build up to that, where again, you're taking him out. Maybe you grab a paw when he's exhausted and you, and you clip one nail and then you walk and play ball again. Uh, and then you lay down, you trip and click another one uh, and, and do it so on and so forth. So baby step your way up, do it that way. And uh, that's been something I've used for really anything, whether it's muzzling a dog, trimming nails, cleaning ears, brushing them. Uh, inspecting them, you know, if they have a, a wound uh, or something that's bothering them, same thing. Is that you know, and, and it's one of the things I see in vet vet offices all the time. It's like let's put this dog up on a slippery table where he's already uncomfortable, and now we start fucking with him and wonder why he reacts that way. You know, I've got a great vet that a lot of times will bring the dogs up to to the parking lot, and we'll just be walking around the parking lot where they're nice and happy and comfortable, calm and relaxed, and the vet will come out and look at them right there in the parking lot. Very, very different story if I try to take him in, lift him up, put them on a slippery table, and now this is looking at him straight in the face, and now he wants to get attitude with everybody. So uh, a little bit of proactive, um, you know, mitigation factors like that, uh, just putting yourself in the dog's shoes and trying to, trying to minimize the amount of stress that you're putting them on them through physical exercise and their environment goes a long way. Harry the Protector, which uh, Harry, damn good dog, I remember him. Uh, how do you feel about companies offering to train someone's dog to become a, quote, personal protection canine in three or four months or selling a personal protection canine that's under a year old? Compared to someone like you that may take years training a dog, states that not all dogs are capable of becoming a protection dog and actually goes and hand-selects a dog that's genetically capable of becoming one. I mean, your question pretty much answers it for me in that, uh, you know, number one is that I, I I can count on one hand the amount of people who have brought a dog to me that says, hey, can you train my dog to be a protection dog? His, his chances are no. Um, I mean, I, I go to great lengths and travel the world to find dogs that have all of the genetic tools to be able to do that type of work. And and it is very difficult to find a dog that is physically capable and mentally strong enough to deal with a grown ass man. Who's not scared of him and intent on hurting him, uh, but also balanced and even keeled and and, uh, amicable enough to be able to be incorporated into a house with young kids and and other pets and, and a normal, you know, residential or suburban type environment. So uh, because of that, and, and how hard I know it is for me, uh, even with, you know, all of the different vendors and, and clubs and people that I know that uh, that I can source dogs from, it's still really difficult for me to find one one dog like that, that, that has everything of what I'm looking for, you know, the three to three to four months thing or just saying, you know, send us your dog and we'll train it. it's no different than like. You know, if your 15 year old kid just doesn't have what it takes and you send them to, you know, American top team and say, I want him to be a UFC fighter in three or four months like that shit ain't happening. Uh, You know, just because it's a dog of a protection breed doesn't mean a fucking thing, frankly, Uh, you know, and so the genetics have to be there. If they're not there, there's no amount of time that's going to going to change those genetics on the transverse, the under a year thing, same thing is that, you know, that is too young. You know, there, there's no dog that is under the age of a year that that's going to be enough dog to do the work that at three years, isn't going to run you out of your fucking house. Like if they're that strong at a year old, they're going to be too much dog from my experience and perspective, uh, for somebody to have, uh, you know, a dog at, at that, uh, level in, in their house. It's just, uh, you know, I, I have come across some dogs that at a year or even a little younger than a year were real and would absolutely fuck you up, you know, but that dog at three years old is, is a dog I would never, ever dream of putting in somebody's house. Um, way, way too much, too much dog for that, that type of environment. So, uh, to me, the dog should be about three years old, maybe even a little older, to be both physically and mentally mature has to have all of the genet- genetics and years, years of good, consistent training to put the dog in the, in the right mental and physical space to be a good personal protection companion. That's why I charge what I charge. They're hard to find. I spend a lot of fucking time doing them. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, you get what you pay for and there's a lot of bullshit out there, I think. Coney 21, how to stop excessive barking. Uh, There's a couple of videos on the online training. um, Basically, teach the dog to to shut up. Um, You know, I I addressed this in my last podcast to a certain extent, but I'll do it again because several people have asked. You know, teach the dog when it's okay to bark and when you want him to be quiet and use markers and reinforcers to do that. If you're just yelling at him to shut up, he doesn't know what that means. First step is wait for it to stop market and reward it. So the, the dog understands the absence of me being an asshole and barking is what's getting me the reward. That's step one. And then number two is just do it over and over and over and over uh, and then teach the dog to bark, teach him to bark. They like to bark, give him an outlet to bark and then tell him to shut up, let him bark, shut up, tell him to bark, shut up, you know, go, go back and forth that way so that uh, he understands when it's okay to when it's not. But then also if he barks on his own accord, it's really easy to get him to stop barking because he's done it so many times. Where you've gone from letting him do it to telling him to stop, etc. West Desert Shooter on a hike, saying warm weather. How often should I offer my dog water? She's a sixty-pound lab. There is no real, you know, definitive answer to that, other than that, you know pay attention to them, you know, when they start to, and I talk about this, uh, some heat resources on the, uh, on the training site is that, you know, when the dog's tongue starts to, to curl back on itself, it's usually when the dog is getting too hot and you want to cease what it is that you're doing, get in the shade and give him some water. I wouldn't necessarily wait until that happens to to give them water, but there's not a every so many minutes in this degree temperature. I mean, it depends on age. It depends on how overweight or underweight or ideal condition the dog is in. It depends on, you know, the fucking humidity, the altitude, the dog's metabolism. I mean, there's a million factors. So keep an eye on them, offer it regularly, you know, just don't, don't let them drink too much. Um, you don't want them sloshing around and ended up getting gastric torsion bloat and, uh, You know, or puking it all up, or whatever. So just use a little bit of common sense. But the biggest thing is just keep an eye on them and give it to them when it seems like they need it. All right, this one's a little bit specific. D. Shernan, I have a two-year-old German Shepherd, very obedient. You know, the gist of the question is: Does doing protection training change the dog's temperament? Uh, In my opinion, no. You know, you're saying you believe that uh, he's smart enough to make the correct distinctions between a threat and not. Uh, but you don't want to alter his friendly nature. Uh, I would agree. You know, a, a good, well balanced, even keeled, uh, temperamentally sound animal understands what's a threat, predatorily versus not. You know, and that comes hardwired. You know, when I do my stakeout tests with dogs to see if they have the the appropriate genetics for police or protection work uh, or military work, that uh, you know that that hardwired instinct is it's either there or it isn't. Uh, and if a dog is super defensive and whatever, yeah, you can make it even worse. Uh, if a dog is not and they're even keeled, can you can you change it and make them a little quote unquote dirtier? Yes, you can. But the overall, you know, kind of foundational temperament of the dog is what it is. And that's, that's genetic. So as long as you're training smart and you're not kind of trick fucking the dog and, and making him not trust anybody because you're having people pop out and smack him and run off and, you know, people agitating him at every turn, every time he runs into all these different environments and trying to do a ton of scenarios where now he's expecting that all the time. As long as you're not doing a ton of that stuff, you're not going to dirty him up to the point where now all of a sudden he's a total prick everywhere. Can you do that if you try? Yeah. Just be smart about your training and, and have it be balanced like every other aspect of your training. And, and it shouldn't, uh, shouldn't be detrimental. Matt Merritt, 17, just got a German Shepherd, 10 weeks. He's blind in one eye, bringing him to an eye specialist to feel his eyesight may be even worse than what they said. Is there anything I need to do differently about training him? Uh, He has a tough time at night when we corner him off in the other room to go to sleep. It's like he needs to be in the same room as you. My wife's letting him sleep on the floor in our bedroom, and he's just fine, sleeps through the night. Wasn't sure if that's the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, to me, I, I... I have my dog sleep in my room uh, at night most of the time it depends I mean it's not uncommon for there to be two three or even four fucking dogs in the house here coming and going uh, finishing for protection work or evaluating them or whatever so there may be an instance where one or two of them is in my bedroom uh, and one or two of them are in different parts of the house or or whatever but you know for this and most people's circumstances yeah I mean they're they're pack animals they're social creatures fucking let them ha- have them sleep in your room with you. In terms of the training with a blind dog or a partially blind dog, is there things you need to do different? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you may need to use way more sound, um, whether it's tones or different verbal markers or things of that nature. Uh, you're going to have to rely heavier on that. You know, the dog's nose and his ears are going to gonna make up for what he lacks in his eyesight. So keep that in mind and, and use. Sounds and smells to your advantage to to get him to come over to you with something that has a stronger smell that that may entice him to to do a recall or, you know, things of that nature so that you can pair it with with your clicker and and uh, and then reinforce it when he comes over. But yeah, you you you've got to project yourself into that dog's shoes and think, okay, if I couldn't see and I was going off of of hearing and smelling, like how would I interpret this training scenario? And, and always keep that in the back of your mind kroll underscore v4 mike i adopted a german shepherd cattle dog mix who's eight highly trained but i'm not sure the manners in which were enforced as punishment that being said when i'm petting him sometimes he'll yelp if he feels confined would there be any way of calming his nerves or do i just choke myself thanks for the time keep up the work always start by choking yourself you can't ever go wrong if you choke yourself first Here's the thing with, if you're petting him sometimes and he'll yelp, um, you know, without seeing it, it's hard to say exactly like how hard are you petting him? Where are you petting him? When he yelp, is it because you you pet harder or in a specific spot or does it just seem completely random? Uh, those are things that would help, you know, determine what, what the solution is. But here's how I look at that is some dogs just don't like to be petted as much as others, you know, um, and if it's either hurting him or scaring him or... I think you're probably anthropomorphizing a little bit with the feeling of being confined. Uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe he actually hit something. You know, Maybe he's got a, a physical issue. Again, if it's in the same spot every time or whatever, maybe have that looked at. It could be a nerve issue. Um, it's, it's impossible to say without having him looked at and knowing exactly what those circumstances are. But those are all things to think about. Um, you know, pay really close attention to when it's happening. If it's in a certain room, if it's in a part of the house, if it's while you're sitting or standing or, I mean, all of those things, see if you can kind of work backwards to identify and determine if there is a pattern in which the yelping uh, manifests itself out of. Uh, So pay close attention to that and then try to try to break that. Ultimately, if it's not, if it's totally random and it just kind of does it whenever and uh then maybe pet the dog less honestly i mean it may be an issue a simple issue is that the dog just doesn't really like being petted for long periods of time or in certain spots or whatever so um that that just may be the deal with that dog so of course you can also try to pair petting with you know positive reinforcement and engagement but before i would do or recommend something like that i would ask yourself you know does it seem like the dog's just uncomfortable and if so Uh, Maybe I just need to to stop messing with him so much and kind of let him relax and come to me for petting versus uh, the opposite. 880, my eight-year-old am bully actually hates car rides. I can't confirm nor deny if it's from my awesome driving skill or from other shitty drivers on the road or even the sound of my tires. Uh, I buckle him in every time we go somewhere, but he still tries to push his way to the front seat or my lap. How can I reassure him and calm him? I've tried anxiety pills from the vet, worthless CBD oil on a treat Benadryl, nothing calms him. I'd rather not have to give him meds. All right, so my guess is that uh, when you're trying to work with him is that you're actually fucking driving. That's your first problem. Um, You have to introduce the car and, and quote unquote driving or going for rides. Not unlike any other training scenario. I would I would load the dog up in the car and in your driveway and sit there and work with him, work on downstays. Does he have a downstay to begin with? If he doesn't, you need to teach that first. If he does, teach that in your car, very short, brief periods of time while you're parked in a fucking driveway, not going anywhere and not giving him the ability to, to be disobedient and not be able to do anything about it. On the transverse, you've also got to be able to slowly scale up the amount of time, the duration with which you're expecting him to be down there. Those are a couple of quick things that I would I would do to begin with. Now, some people would say put a barrier up. Um, I, I'm not a fan of those, generally speaking, for a number of reasons. Some of it's a safety issue. The other component is very simply is that I, I want to communicate and teach the dog to stay the fuck back there and not just make him stay back there. I want him to make the decision to stay back there on his own and then be rewarded for it so that it means something and it's, it's concreted in his mind and he's thinking and learning. So that's how I would do it. And then once you get to where you can sit in your driveway and he'll sit back there for several minutes and not mess with it, then drive right down the street, you know, and then around the block and then for five minutes and then 10 minutes, you know, build, build up and scale that that duration the same way you would a, a downstay on a on a dog bed in your living room. Treat it that same way. But you've got to incorporate your vehicle into training sessions in that static training environment prior to just jumping in, in the car and driving for an hour with him and getting pissed when he when he decides he wants to come hang out in your lap like a good stripper would. Did I just say that? Yes I did. Um Navin Lan, how to correct a dog with separation anxiety, whining, scratching at doors to get out digging under fences to get out all only when I leave the house and she's alone. That's a very tough problem to deal with for all the same reasons that anybody else said, you know, this only happens when I'm gone. No different than, um, the couple of questions ago, you know, have the crate, uh, crate the dog when you're in the house short periods of time, start by feeding the dog in the crate, put the bowl of food in the back. They have to go in the crate. They eat, leave the door open. Just put the bowl of food in there and and walk away and go about your business around the house. Get them to want to go in there and be okay with it. And then they're okay with it while you're, while you're there. Again, a couple of minutes, let them out, you know, a couple of minutes back in a couple of minutes, let them out uh, again, all while you're there. And just, and then, you put them in the crate and then you're in a different room Uh, and then you're outside and then you're gone for a few minutes and then you come back and you're letting them out and, and you're building on that again, where people generally run into problems is when the dog makes that simple association that the only time I go in my crate is with no food and right before my owner leaves. And so that compounds all of these shitty behaviors is that they don't, Uh, they don't like that there's not a positive association there's a a negative association with you being absent every time they're in that now they make the the association with a crate Uh, or they make it in your house and that you know you've you've got to be able to control them uh, and contain them so that they can't dig and chew shit up and, and ruin your house while you're gone so you use a crate for that and again make the positive associations with the crate so they don't freak out and act like a total asshole in there all right uh new agout lw i don't know what the hell that means i'm afraid of screwing up dog selection for me and my family can you go over picking out a dog that fits your family lifestyle 101 again i know i'll go choke myself god i love you i love how how much you guys have adopted the choke yourself mentality it's beautiful makes me feel like a proud parent uh we're a young family that's gonna have one kid hopefully soon sorry to hear that and if my wife gets her way, we're going to have a pansy dog. Okay, well, don't let your wife get her way. She got her way with the kid, right? No, I'm kidding. Thank you for your service. God bless. Um, love the podcast. Well, thank you for your uh, support. I do appreciate it. A couple things. Um, I outline in the team dog book as well as the online training uh, and you're gonna hear me say this because again that's why if, if you're not signed up for it fucking choke yourself if you're listening to this podcast and you hear me answer all of these questions no bullshit every single question that I've answered and every single question that's been submitted there is something in either the book the online training videos or in the forums that addresses every single fucking question that's been on here you know it's it's 13 a month or 100 bucks a year to be a part of the the community or buy the book uh, as a good primer for it but every fucking thing that you guys are asking is all addressed in there and there's video representations of it so you know if you have a dog and you have these questions for the love of shit, like it's not hundreds of dollars it's it's pretty reasonably priced go on it uh, and and you'll get all of this information and it will make more sense than me explaining it however the the general gist of it is you have to have an ideal in your mind as to what that perfect example of a dog is for your living situation you know if it's a a small scrap of hair pansy dog if that's the best fit for you knock yourself out i mean maybe it is you know it's not i'm not here to tell you that you need to have a 90 pound fucking mastiff to feel like a man i mean because if that's the case maybe there's some other shit going on i mean let's be honest Uh, don't overcompensate, you know, get a big expensive watch or an ass kicking truck. You know, I like busting you guys' balls, but the, uh, here's the reality, get what's going to, going to fit your lifestyle. If you live in a condo and can't exercise and and work with your dog in a, in an environment where it's going to need it, then get a dog that's conducive to that environment. Uh, with the kids thing, I mean, to me, that's kind of a non-factor. Um, and I say that because if you're working with a dog properly and, and you're in an environment where it's conducive to bringing a dog up the way that you want to based on what it, what it is, breed activity, life, uh, activity, uh, lifestyle-wise, size, etc. Uh, adding a, a child to the mix shouldn't make that big of a difference. Uh, if Again, if you're doing right by the dog and, and putting the time in. Um, so a lot of that is going to depend on you and what, uh, what your situation is. But have that idea in mind and then work backwards from there. Get uh, get a dog that's gonna get a fit in with your lifestyle and do your research. Uh, I talk about you know what to do with breeders and how to how to select them and, and things like that uh, in primarily in the book and, and again also uh, you know in some of the videos. But W M Reese uh, absolutely have a question. My dog has been getting a little aggressive and growls in a little bit of a hostile tone when it comes to putting him in the crate for the night. He'll growl and almost kind of snap when he's in there and you go to close the door of the cage. How do you almost kind of snap? What the fuck does that even mean? W.M. Reese? I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, he's getting a little shitty with you. Um, so here's the deal is that, you know, I, I don't know how that was introduced to him. But what I would say is that, you know, just like a couple questions ago of, of making the positive associations with that, keep the door open and feed him in the back of it. Start by doing that. Uh, And even if that's when you're putting them in, like if you need to get them in and out, break your meals up. I mean, if you're using training food and and rations for training, you know, and you're having a problem now, this is part of your training routine. You know, getting a dog accustomed to going into a crate and chilling the fuck out in, in a crate like every dog owner. That should be a not just a goal that should be an accomplished task. For you, no different than your dog should be obedient and not fucking jump up on people or bite children. Is that your dog should be able to go into a crate on command and lay in there and chill the fuck out for as long as you need them to. If your dog does not have that, you're wrong. I mean, to me, that that is a no brainer. Every bit as important as a recall, as healing, as a place command, as anything else, uh, is is to be able to do that. And so, uh, you need to you know integrate that into your training sessions and and make that. Being comfortable going in and out of a crate, part of your your desired uh, behaviors that you're shaping, and you're going to do that with food uh, and with a lack of pressure. Again, it can't be only when you need him to go in there. That's when you're putting him in there do lots of sessions where he's in and out in and out in and out doors open food going in food coming out food going in playing ball throw the ball in there if, if he has ball drive if he doesn't and it's just food then again use food desensitize him going in and out and do it over and over and over with the use of food until he stops giving a shit that's uh, that's the gist of it wild bill underscore 46 i'd love to hear your thoughts on dog food uh, i have talked about it a number of times Short answer is raw and or dehydrated. Uh, if it's done right, um, you're going to be seeing some trichose food coming out here real fucking soon. Um, that I'll be talking more about, but uh, so be on the lookout for that. It's coming soon. But raw food. I mean, just like with people, the more bioavailable and, and real it is, uh, the better it is for you. So uh, I like to keep it real simple and have it be as close to as nature intended. Jen Bueller 81. How do you get a very friendly dog to stop licking? He does it not because he's nervous, but because it's his way of saying hello. I don't mind it at all, but other people come over to my house, don't like it. Uh, I'd love to have a command to get him to stop, but I'm not sure how to teach it. Two things. Number one, teach a place command. When people come over, if you have people that don't like to interact with your dog, put them in a, in, in incorporate your place command and have them fucking lay there while they come over. Your dog shouldn't be coming over to solicit attention from you and or any of, of your guests without you allowing it uh, or saying, come on over here, etc. cetera. Um, that's number one. So build that into your training regimen and your daily routine first and foremost. Number two is that that sp- specific behavior in and of itself, I mean, it's it's kind of not seeing the forest for the trees a little bit and that, the, again, the dog, you shouldn't allow them to come up, period. So you're, you're going to do a combination of kind of correcting it but ultimately extinguishing it by discouraging it through reinforcement. Um, it's going to depend a little bit on how motivated the dog is to do it. I don't like to wait for a dog to stop doing something annoying like that uh, on people and then rewarding him for it. Uh, vice, I would rather correct the dog. And so there's a couple of videos I do called Be the Man. Uh, I would do that. If they if the dog comes over and starts to try to lick somebody, give them a little correction, tell him to go uh, back in his in his place and have him lay there like the the just from an etiquette and manner standpoint the dog should not be coming up and licking people if they are correct them and put them back in the down stay uh, and leave them there i mean that's just uh, how i look at it could you you know wait for him to stop and mark and reward it yes but to me you know there is a difference in the analogy i like to use is you know if you have kids and you tell tell your kid to clean their room and they and they uh you know they go do it they get rewarded great uh, if they don't do it uh, and you withhold the reward, well, if the reward is is not anything that's worth them not cleaning their room. Uh, so if if the act of the dog licking the guest is of, of a higher reward value for him to just self-reward that way, then you're not going to offer him anything that's going to get him to stop. On a broader scale, it's kind of like telling your kid to clean the room and they, then they tell you to fuck off. And you say, well, you're not going to get your, your dessert tonight no, like you're going to get corrected for that shit. So to me, licking and invading somebody's personal space falls into that category. And I would, I would correct that. I would use a little bit of that, be the man body language, get them to, uh, to just back off and, and put them back over in their on their place command and, and work harder at, at keeping a, a good, solid non-broken place command so that, uh, so you're not having those issues
0: in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free
0: at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with firsthand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So, come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
1: OG Wifey 925. I go on hikes once a week with my friend and his two pups. When we are out and I recall my pup to check in, she runs to my friend instead of me. How do I work on redirecting her back to me? Also on these hikes, my friend does not give her any treats for the recall. Only I do, and she still runs to him. Um, that's, that's actually kind of an interesting scenario, one that uh, is not really that typical. What I would say is that I, or I would ask, how many, you know, how, how good is the dog's recall if it's just you or in your training environment. If you're back at at home where you're doing most of your training, bring the friend there and, and how does that recall look in that environment? You know, teach it there first. The contextual association of the dog being in the training environment, he's gonna learn more, or she, she's gonna learn more and faster coming back to you if it's already in the training environment where she has been learning how to recall. Get it solid there first before you try to do it. Uh, out out in a, a stimulating environment like a hike where there's a bunch of other shit going on. Uh, work on yourself first. Get that dog's recall to be super solid in your training classroom, outside of your training classroom with just you. then incorporate the friend in your training classroom, get it solid there. And then and then work on it out in town. But my my bet is it's probably just not quite enough repetitions. Is that you know the friend is a little sexier than you uh, right now because you don't have uh, enough repetitions under your belt to really uh, blast through that that distraction. Nitro Nick sixty. Who are some of the trainers you looked up to starting out? Uh, fucking all of them, frankly. To me, you know, I, I addressed a little bit on how do you you know break into to the training realm or whatever is it, uh, I mean, there's a ton of them. I I mean, I'm happy to sit here and list 200 fucking names, but uh, the reality is everybody I've ever trained with, especially when I first started out, I looked up to, and, and there's a ton that I still do. Uh, you know, to me, that's one of the neatest aspects of the dog training world is the sharing of information. Uh, a lot of times it's a pissing contest and a little bit of a, of an ego issue with, uh, with a lot of people, which, uh, I hate, uh, but that's, that's part of every industry. Um, you know, a lot of people like to say that the other person doesn't know what the fuck they're doing and they suck and whatever. But you know, there's a lot of people in the, in the industry that, uh, the working dog industry specifically that I look up to did back then and still continue to do so to me, whatever element of training that you're trying to uh, get into is that find the industry leaders and try to learn from them. Uh, the one caveat with that is take, Everything including what I tell you with a grain of salt at least to a certain extent uh, Is that you know, not everything works the exact same for every person not everything works the exact same for everybody. Uh, you know, there are certain things that, that I do that work a little better for me than some people uh, Same with some dogs. I may try one thing with this or whatever My point is is that in terms of when it comes to trainers is that there's going to be a lot of a lot of variety I also like to look to people that are more like me, both physically, personality-wise, because what works for them is probably going to transfer over to, to work better for you than say somebody that's physically and, and emotionally a polar opposite from you. Um, still can learn from those people, but uh, in terms of who you're going to emulate and, and really kind of start a good foundation, um, you know, getting like-minded people that uh, that bring similar aspects and attributes to the table as you is going to help you out probably a little a little better max on max off working through my first month of team dog thank you and i'm stoked on how well goose my pup is responding to the training i love hiking with my dog and i'm wondering if you have any specific ways how i can continue building engagement with her while hiking so far i mark and reward every time she comes back to check in with me and i've been marking and rewarding her every time i call her and she comes back with great results, I want to make sure I'm taking the right baby steps and that I'm not inadvertently teaching her bad habits. Uh, fantastic to hear this max on max off. That's exactly how I would do it and how I recommend doing it. The only note of caution uh, or potential note of caution, I would say is that when you're going hiking, you know, if, if it's if you're only in your first month, uh, just be a little cognizant of huge distractions is that, you know, I, I like to build it maybe a little more repetition in terms of weeks or months of getting lots of repetitions of recalls in my training classroom and and around my property and things before I'm throwing them into a hiking environment where there's a ton of interesting shit that they may get overly distracted for and blow you off. Um, But, you're you're absolutely going about going about it the right way, and 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 I like that you're doing both of those things. That you're you're both calling her back, and she's coming, uh, and you're marking and rewarding, and, and you're doing it when she's doing it on her own. That's what's really going to bring you uh, over the edge, especially when you're initially laying that foundation of shaping a recall uh, to where they're they're making that decision. And that is the huge disparity between free shaping and say luring or baiting, as an example, is that the you know the the whole the, the arch foundational principle of, of operant conditioning is that it's the dog's actions, right? It is the dog's actions that are going to determine the consequences. And when that dog realizes and understands that it's their fucking actions that dictate the consequences, that is when you can teach them any fucking thing. Um, you know, so it's like uh, using a GPS versus reading a map and knowing where the fuck you're going. You know, use the the free shaping to uh, to really understand where you're going and teach dogs what the expectation is instead of it just be mindlessly following their nose. Anyway, keep up the good work. Thanks for your support, Brendan Baldwin. I have a ten month old rescued German Shepherd uh, still having issues with house training and chewing. Crate the dog. Uh, I've addressed this question a few times for a reason. Uh, it's very common. Crate the fucking dog. House training and chewing. Crate them take them out they go to the bathroom reward them for going to the bathroom outside. If they go to the bathroom inside, pick them up quick or, or take them out really fast. Try to get them to go out there. If they don't, don't lose your shit on them, Crate them, take them out, uh, early and often and, uh, give them the opportunity to go to the bathroom outside. And, uh, if you're not working with them or monitoring slash observing them, have them in a crate or they're going to chew shit up and you're not going to be able to, to reinforce otherwise. So, um, if you're not a Team Dog member, become one and and watch the hitting the reset button and structuring videos. Uh, look, go through all of the foundational videos, which is kind of the, the foundation of everything. Ninety-seven nulls. Some police departments don't use vests for their canines because they've had dogs killed by bad guys picking them up by it and using it to hurt the dog. Example: slamming against the wall. Other departments use them to help protect their canines. What are your views on using them and when to use, when not to use them situations? This is obviously a little further beyond the scope of basic dog training, but uh, I am answering this one for a reason is that uh, it's a common thing that I hear about people uh, not bitching, but, you know, having the concern of, of uh, you know, a, a dog being able to be picked up by a vest. Um, here's here's what I would say is that my recommendation is to use the ballistic vests, I love the canine storm vests. Um, they're light. Uh, they're, they're very, very effective in terms of uh, having a, a puncture-proof element to them to where being stabbed or shot. It does a very good job at mitigating that. In terms of people being able to pick the dog up by the vest and using it against them, uh, I call bullshit on that, and here's why, is that I don't need uh, a vest on a dog to be able to pick that dog up and do what I want with it that um, they have their entire body covered in fur that you can do the exact same fucking thing with uh, and and people will do it so uh, having a vest on them isn't gonna isn't gonna now all of a sudden give somebody the ability to pick a dog up you can grab their their skin when they are flank the scruff of their neck you can grab them wherever and pick them right the fuck up by that uh, just as easy as you can a vest so I would much rather have that protection including, you know, having, uh, either strobe lights or cameras or GPS functions or ballistic protection, uh, on that dog, uh, than, than any of the detriment to it. So long as it's a good high quality, lightweight product, like what canine storm offers, you know, that's, that's my take on it. Jeff Spicoli. Hey, Mike, appreciate everything you do. I have a six month old hound shepherd mix named Gracie. I've been a member on team dog for about three months. Typically do five to 15 minute sessions. I've gotten a little ahead of the program because Gracie's been picking up on everything very well. After building from single sessions on each, I now typically cycle through sit down and speak and she does very well. I've been working on place, stay here and heal separately by themselves in their own sessions. My question is, is, do you recommend working on one command for an entire month or completing five to 10 sessions of one and then working on another? I feel like I already know the answer. All right, appreciate it, Ed. Sounds like you're doing great. Love the feedback and uh, just another example of people uh, using the, the program as intended and having phenomenal results, so it's fantastic. There's not a specific or should I say set answer to your question in terms of work on it for this amount of time and then move on to the next. What I would say is that you're going about it exactly how, how it's intended. Uh, so I love that you're paying attention to both the videos and the forums generally speaking is that when the, when it seems like the dog understands it you know when you give the dog that command you know you, you shape it first without saying it once they start to do it with you know overwhelming prediction then you pair it with the command once they understand the command um, you're going through that do it and then do it exactly what you're doing is cycling through all of them i do like to teach each one of those behaviors by themselves until i get to that point once i get to that point then i cycle them all in if you've got the sit down and speak, here's my take is that I, I probably wouldn't spend a lot of time on speak until you have the basic five, all of the basic five down uh, to a T with a command and you can cycle through them. You should be able to tell a dog down and say sit and they pop back up into a sit or hear or heal or whatever and no matter where you're at or what position the dog is in that the dog responds to that command with that behavior. A lot of times people shoot themselves in the foot by teaching down after a sit in succession every time. And a lot of times I, I fuck with people and I, I, you know, I'll call their dog over and say sausage, broccoli, and the dog will sit and then down because every single time they've come over the next two words out of their mouth, they've sat and down and been rewarded for it. And so they, so they don't really know what sit and down are they know the context of something coming out of the owner's mouth when they're called over to them so that's why it's important to incorporate a a platform of some kind where you're teaching the dog in your training classroom like I do in the videos uh, all of these different behaviors and then working on different body positions different distances so that that dog will sit and down and stay and heal no matter what position they're in they'll they'll perform that uh, that behavior but to answer your question keep doing what you're doing get all of them nailed, uh, you know, individually and then cycle through them and, and then start to scale up your distractions, both in your training classroom and then out in town and uh, keep, keep crushing it. Scott Williams 77 would like to ask, is it possible to train a dog for hunting and basic SAR at a volunteer level? Genetics are going to dictate most of that. You know, you can try to train a dog for hunting and SAR work, but if a dog has horrible environmental nerves and no hunt drive, um, not really. You're, you're really, you know, you're going to be volunteering to waste people's fucking time, um, you know, if, if that's what you come into. You know, both hunting and search and rescue work are specific enough working traits to where the dog has to have a, a certain level of appropriate genetics for you to be able to, to do that task uh, at a level of competency that, that uh, is going to be worth doing. And if they don't, then I wouldn't even waste my time with it. Mandolin01, I want to start SAR work with my two-year-old, um, but I'm worried about the longevity of his hips. My question is, are there exercises or specific training I could do with him to see at what level of fitness he's at and gauge uh, if he can handle that, that type of SAR work? Are there stretches, supplements that you can use to promote joint health? A couple of things um number one is keep the dog lean um that's first and foremost uh, before you do anything else is get him to where there's a tuck in his stomach a fate outline of uh of his rib cage and you can feel his hips very easily until he's at that point i wouldn't work him super hard lean him out stop feeding him until you get him to that point and then uh, see how he does you know put him through different physical exercises and see you know play ball with him Uh, Take him to playground equipment, see how well he spider monkeys around there and and uh, how well he runs runs through there without, uh, you know, falling off or being clumsy or running out of gas or whatever. um, And just see how he does. You know, there's not necessarily like a a checklist. I would just I would take him to a lot of those things once he's lean and see how he does. Uh, In terms of helping his hips out during that process, uh, swim a lot with him. Uh, Get him in the water and and instead of putting a lot of pound in the pavement time, especially if he's overweight, before you get him lean, do lots of swimming and and lower impact stuff. Um, Stretches, not really. Just don't get him out of a crate or the back of the car after he's been in there for, you know, four hours and throw a ball 200 yards to where he goes from being in a crate to being at full speed in, in three quarters of a second from exiting the vehicle. Um, you know, let them walk around and, and warm up a little bit before you start doing strenuous activity. In terms of supplements, uh, CBD oil, uh, you know, the Trico CBD oil does, uh, does work very well for inflammation and hips and uh, mobility issues. We've had a number of dogs have phenomenal results with it, so that's uh, good to start them on now to get a good foundation built and just keep them on it. Also good omega-3 oils, good raw food. Uh, things that don't have a lot of fillers and bullshit carbohydrates that are going to increase inflammation uh, will also help in conjunction with the oil. Yeah, that's about it. Baggins lad 98. Can a Malinois be a decent family dog? I want a dog that thinks about my family safety as much as I do, but I wonder if that would be a big enough job for a Malinois. There is not a dog on the planet. Baggins lad. That's going to think about your family's safety as much as you do. Uh, if there is, then you're not thinking about it enough. Uh, but I understand what your question is. I'm just being a smart ass because uh, that's what I do best. Um, yes, a Malinois can be a decent family dog. I would say, generally speaking, most Malinois are not very good family dogs. Um, the ones that I find to do that type of work are really, really hard to find, like I uh, lamented earlier. Uh, doesn't mean that they're not out there, but if you're rolling the dice and saying I'm just going to get breed X and want them to be a a security dog or you know a dog that's going to keep that in mind and be geared towards that, you're really rolling the dice uh, for two reasons. One is that just because it's a Malinois or a German Shepherd isn't a guarantee that the dog is going to be wired that way. I've com- I've come across and tested and shit canned thousands tens of thousands probably at this point uh dogs that did that were malinois and shepherds that did not have what it takes to do protection work Uh, a lot of them are out there Uh, i'm very selective and picky and have high standards but uh, the fact is is that you know you can't compromise and, and negotiate um With, uh, you know, with assholes trying to hurt your family. And so, um, you can't do that with the genetics of a dog that you're looking to put its life on the line to protect you either. So, um, generally, what makes a good working dog a good working dog, um, or a good protection dog a good protection dog makes them an absolute motherfucker as a pet. Not always, but most of the time. So, if you're just going to breeder X and you want a Malinois because you think he's going to be a hardwired protection dog without having to, make sure that the genetics are there and then do the training. Uh, You're setting yourself up for failure as a protection dog and losing your fucking mind as a dog owner. That is my take on it. If you just want a dog that's going to look the part and, uh, and naturally uh, be kind of a pain in the ass territorially uh, cattle dogs actually are, are a better option. They're shittier attitudes, frankly, when it comes to garden vehicles and houses from a, a territorial standpoint than most Malinois and shepherds. Um, now when it comes to legit man work, they don't hold a candle to it, but, uh, something to think about, you know, and I, I use the generalizations breed wise a, a little bit hesitantly, but the fact is, is that, uh, you know, they, they typically, um, are, are a little more better wired for that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, keep that in mind. All right. Uh, L pouch, uh, you have a big long one and then you, you have a big long one. Yeah, you do. Uh, there's a, a long post that you didn't ask a question. Then here's the second one. Uh, Devo is a great dog and loves to ride in our trucks. However, now that he's getting older, he's having trouble loading into them. We have a ramp, but he wants nothing to do with it and does not like being handled or picked up. Any advice or suggestions uh, to help him be more comfortable with a ramp? Thank you in advance. Always having one for Bub. Uh, L Pouch, Pouchy, I don't know who you are, my man, but. Uh, fucking hats off to you and I appreciate the shout out to bub uh he's one of my one of my best friends and not a day goes by right I'll miss that motherfucker so I appreciate uh, appreciate the message um in terms of Devo being a great dog and and trying to get him comfortable with the ramp um two things number one is lean that motherfucker out as much as you can um that's one of the bigger problems you've heard me say it a couple times now but try to get him to where he is as lean as you can get him. Uh, That's going to help with the hips Uh, in terms of being more comfortable with the ramp, uh, turn it into a training session, right? Feed him at the top of it, or even at the bottom of it. If you've got to start there, Um, you know, you can put a, a Hansel and Gretel trail of fucking food up, up it and then have his bowl of food at the top. Set it down first. Uh, Have it just in your backyard where it's just the ramp laying flat and he's walking on it and eating food on it. Uh, You're hanging out on it uh, to where he just stops giving a shit about it and you're going to desensitize him to that first. If you try to go where a dog's like, I don't know what the fuck that is and I'm just going to put it at a high angle and expect him to walk up there with no motivation, like, yeah, a lot of times an older dog that his hips hurt and he's never seen that, he's going to be like, fuck you, I'm not getting on that thing, you get on it. Uh, So, yeah, lean him out, uh, desensitize him to it with food outside of, of where it's at an angle first. Get him comfortable with it to where he's eating on it, sleeping on it, hanging out on it, whatever. And then try putting it in the back of your car where you're if at first he's still a little weirded out by it, you know, put a bowl of food at the bottom of it, you know, and then halfway up it or a quarter of the way up it, and then most of the way up. it, And then at the top with food running down, I mean, there's. A lot of different ways you can smear peanut butter all over the fucking thing and have him lick his way up and down like it. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of sick, twisted shit you can do to get that dog to uh, like it, but that's the, that's the gist of it. Put yourself in his shoes and get him to, to not, not care about it anymore. Uh, again, maybe we can have a beer sometime. Pouchy, have a good one, my man. Last question. Uh, B Flem. Someone told me that their dog does things out of spite. I don't believe this to be true, but what are your thoughts on spiteful peeing or chewing? I have mixed feelings on it. I think it's a similar mechanism with which we anthropomorphize with our dogs in thinking that they're spiteful um, just like a lot of emotions that we have that dogs don't have it does not mean that they're not emotional creatures they are The complexity with which that they show emotion, whether it's jealousy or anger or aggression or spitefulness or sadness or happiness, etc are generally not nearly as complex as uh, the manner with which we communicate those those emotions so do they do things out of spite i think that there's probably some uh, element of truth to that but not nearly as much as we give credence to Um, all dogs are a little different i've seen some dogs that you're like that motherfucker has to be doing that because they're pissed And it seems a little less coincidental and and makes more sense than other dogs where it's people really stretching uh, and and reaching or grasping at at straws to try to uh, project and anthropomorphize their dogs. But I'm not saying that they don't do it at all. I think that there's, again, there's some elements to it, but I think most of it is people's uh, ability to conjure up bullshit emotions that they have themselves and, and projecting it into their dogs. So... That is uh, the gist of today's Q&A. One thing before we wrap up here, I do want to say some products coming out uh, real soon here uh, that I'm looking forward to to introducing to you guys. We already have the CBD oil. Uh, Go to Trico Supplements. Uh, That shit works really well. There's lots of good feedback and reviews on it. Uh, It makes a big difference for a lot of dogs. I encourage you to check it out. Again, all of these training questions, every fucking one of them is addressed in a combination of my book, the forums and the online training and the online training. There's videos. There are group discussions. There's uh, people who have signed up for the training and posted videos of their progress, all of these things. So do yourself a favor. uh, And when you're done choking yourself from not signing up yet, go sign up and uh, put your dog through the program as intended. Even if you think you have your dog where you want to be, Uh, you can always get them better and and more clearly communicate, and that's really the basis of this program. So get yourself in there. Check it out. I appreciate all the support, uh, all the questions, uh, good as usual. I'm happy to uh, answer them to the best of my ability. More than anything, I appreciate your guys' support, and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys next time. And until that time, this is Mike Johnson.